0: Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest this week is audio educator and former president of the AES, John Crivett. First of all, how much are streaming services paying artists this year? Yes, in 2021. Well, we'll look at Spotify, Tidal, Apple Music, Amazon Music, and Google. It's really interesting, though, because... No two royalty streams are the same. And for instance, with Spotify, there are actually over 100 royalty schemes. And that makes it very, very complicated and very difficult to really figure out. So just some of the most basic things that cause these variables. For one, it's the listener's country or territory and how much the listener pays. So for instance, in the U.S., it's $10, but in India, it's only $2.00. So if you get a million streams in the U.S., you're making a lot more money than you are in India because they're not paying as much. Then another thing is whether the listener uses the freemium tier, which is the ad-supported version, or do they use the paid subscription version? And that actually makes a huge difference. Something brand new from Spotify is something called a promotional stream. So Spotify will promote your release. But in order to do that, you're going to have to take a lower royalty I don't know if this is worth it or not. There are a lot of pros and cons to this. But for the most part, paying for it in your pocketbook. Next comes the currency or inflation for each territory. So what happens is the rate may change because the currency is either overvalued, undervalued, valued just right, but every month, even though the user is paying the same amount, it might be worth less to you in what gets paid out in royalties. And finally is What is the negotiated rate that you have with your label, if you have one, or a distributor for that matter? You're potentially going to be sharing some of that with the distributor, but if you're signed to a record label, they may be taking as much as 80%, so you could actually bring in a whole bunch of money and not see all that much. But we do have some averages of what you can make. Now, this is for a million streams. Remember that a million isn't what it used to be. It only sort of gets us in the ballpark. And that's when people started to take notice, but it's not the big deal as it was with sales. If you sold a million physical CDs or vinyl records, then that was a much bigger deal because people were paying a lot more for it. So a million streams aren't what you think. That being said, they're kind of a good measure here. With Amazon Music, a million streams will get you about $5,000. Apple Music, it's somewhere between 5000 and 5500 with Google Play, or now it's called YouTube Music, $12,000. Big change there. With Pandora, it's only $1,400. And YouTube, just a little better, $1,700. How much does Spotify pay out? Well, somewhere between $3,000 and $6,000 per million streams. Now, something that's coming that may change things is what they call the user-centric model. And the user-centric model is going to be adopted this year by Deezer and Tidal. What that means, if somebody listens to your song over and over and over again, more of the money that they're paying in to the platform is getting paid out to you. The way it is now, it goes into a big bundle, and it depends on your market share, but this is strictly on streams. So will this be better or worse? We don't know yet, but we're going to find out soon. Just remember that potentially you can make a lot more money from streaming than you ever could from physical product because you're eliminating all the costs involved. Also... A stream keeps paying over and over. Every time someone listens to it, you get paid, while a physical product only pays you once. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Don't forget about my online courses on mixing, production, branding, and music business success at BobbyOsinskiCourses.com Also, get an expert analysis and objective opinion of your songs and mixes as a member of my Hitmakers Club. Go to HitmakersClub.com to learn more. Now we're hearing so much about spatial audio as being the savior of the music business and the next frontier of audio. Maybe it is. We've heard this before. But that being said, it does have some other uses. And one of the best is in offices. Anybody that's ever worked in an office, worked in a cubicle, knows how noisy it can be and how distracting it can be. But there's been ways before that have tried to combat that. And that's with some static white noise, for instance. Yes, it masked some of the office noise, not ideally, but it did help. That being said, not every employer or office building actually used it but now landlords and employers need a reason to lure employees back to the office so a quieter workspace just like they have at home is one of the best and that's what they're doing so now we have two companies made music studio and spatial that are doing this actually made music has been doing custom sounds and music for offices for more than 20 years Both these companies are coming together, though. Made Music creates the content, and Spatial provides the equipment. One of the first to do this is the AT&T Global Headquarters, and what they're getting is soundtracks that change with the flow of the day. Now, again, this is immersive, so it's pretty cool. They're getting ambient music, and it changes to water, and it changes to chimes, and then to bird chirps. What they say is there's three types that they specialize in. Welcome ambience, which is perfect for office lobbies, for instance. Focus ambience, which centers your attention. And energizing ambience, which is for high traffic areas like hallways or retail store or even transportation hubs. But it's been found that one of the best places for this is in hospitals. And the reason why is it decreases the stress for patients. So I'm not sure if spatial audio for music will ever catch on in a big way. But spatial audio is going to catch on in many other places. Virtual environments, for instance. Museums, you're going to hear it. And also, office buildings and hospitals, that's a good thing. My guest this week is John Crivet, who's an audio educator and founder of the extremely popular Facebook group, Hey Audio Student. John is a past president of the Audio Engineering Society, and he served as the chair of the 2018 AES Conference on Audio Archiving, Preservation, and Restoration at the U.S. Library of Congress. And he was the chair of the 2018 and 2019 AES High School Audio Educators' Conferences. Currently, he's a Director of Education and Professional Audio Design, and does consulting with other manufacturers of audio technology. John is also a senior affiliated faculty at Emerson College he's been the recipient of the Inabeth Miller Award for Excellence in Teaching and the Norm Prescott Award for Outstanding Faculty Member. During the interview, we talked about the not-so-obvious audio jobs, John's Hey Audio student community, conducting audio manufacturer factory tours, and much more. I spoke with John via Skype from his home in Massachusetts. Let's just go back to the beginning. Tell me about your starting in the audio business.
1: I got out of college. I went to college at the University of Michigan, and I studied uh, American literature and history. But while I was there, I was in a band, and I loved Even more so, I loved And so uh, I got out of school, and I did a few different things. I managed a record store that was owned by the Mafia. Um I got into advertising and I was four years out of school and the fall came and I'm Jewish. I'm not particularly religious, but um, you know, the Jewish New Year comes in the fall, my birthday comes around that time, school starts that that time. and I thought, you know I, I just wanted to sort of get out of my work day and go to the uh, the, the services for uh, Rosh Hashanah. And again, I'm not very religious, but uh, I was just sitting there. And the whole idea is that you eat apples and honey and you give thanks to something that's good. And I thought, what's the best thing in life? What's something that's really wonderful that I should celebrate? And the Hebrews wafting over me, I don't really, uh, I don't really uh, remember much. Um, and I'm just kind of thinking, and I'm thinking the greatest feeling, and I don't know whether any of your listeners will relate to this, uh, or maybe Bobby, you'll relate to this, but it's the feeling you get when you hear a piece of music and you have to hear it again and again, and again, and again, and you play it until everybody you lives with, everyone you live with hates your guts. <laughs> so, uh, I was thinking about that 10 days later. Is the second part of the Jewish New Year? It's called Yom Kippur, where you atone for your sins. Again, I'm not religious. I don't. I don't even believe in God. But I, I, uh, I'm just doing this human thing, which is thinking about life, and the Hebrews wafting over me once again, and I am thinking about what did I do wrong? And I think it's that I go to work in a in a firm that does advertising, and I. Literally, look at the clock, and I wish time away. I wish I was back doing something that was more interesting and more meaningful to me. So, um, uh, you know, you'd look at the clock and you'd see it's three thirty, and you'd say, "Come on, big hand, move a little faster. Let's go." And um, so, I realized I needed purpose in my life. So, to make a long story short, I bought a TaskCam three eighty eight, which is this this uh, machine that has these seven and a half inch or seven inch reels and and uh, together with a board and I was just gonna record anybody and everybody and I started by charging next to nothing and all kinds of people would I put an ad in the back of the Boston Phoenix and this is 1988 the fall of 1988 and everybody, answered my little ad in the back and uh they would come in and i would have all kinds of folks and i kept raising the rates and raising rates and every time i'd raise the rates more people would call and um i was i just remember i made 200 bucks one week and i was so excited i made 300 bucks and 400 bucks and then i started licensing original music to companies that made interactive software and I was doing uh, kids' music and Christian music and all kinds of things from all around the world. Uh, it was probably, you know, uh, a demo studio in 1988. Uh, I was really excited about it. I figured that w- there were a lot of people that couldn't afford uh, a, a big recording studio, but they could afford a, a demo studio. And it was before people could do these things on their phones, and uh, I just kept raising it and raising it, and more people would come. I moved it into an office building. I kept sort of upping my game and doing different things. I was really enjoying it. I did. I was in a an area that had a lot of high tech, so I was working for companies like Oracle and doing all kinds of things with intranets and and eight bit recordings because memory was very expensive, even to companies like Oracle. And um, uh, someone asked me about teaching, and I started teaching at a school. Probably I didn't know enough, but I just started doing it. And um, that was great. Uh, my department chair said, John, you're going to be our faculty advisor of our new AES student chapter, our new Uh, and I thought, oh, boy, this is going to be the worst thing that ever happened to me. People are going to realize how little I know, and they're going to discover the big Swiss cheese holes in my uh, understanding and my training in audio. And um, I'll tell you, what I learned was that curiosity is the most powerful tool in anything. And I just started inviting people I was curious about. To all these co-curricular after-school events and i had the first person i had was don palouse Mm. a fellow i knew who was the who had been the uh the dean at the berkeley college of music and before that a legendary uh, recording engineer recording people like sly and the family stone and chicago and bob dylan uh don came and he spoke to students about his career uh working for cbs records uh, I had uh, a very small company with uh, three employees come in and talk about how you could ma- you could use their software to master entirely in the box, and everybody kind of snickered and laughed at them. And that company was Isotope, mm. and they went on to hire one of my students as their fourth employee. And now they've got hundreds of people, and they're influencing everything that we do in. Mastering brilliant folks over there in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, I had a special agent from the FBI come in and talk about forensic audio and, and surveillance uh, and what kinds of tools the FBI was using. Uh, I was doing all kinds of things. I started doing this event called the Boston Area Definitive Audio Student Summit, which was known as BADASS. Uh, I had some concern that the AES, Mucky Mucks, would think that it would be a little too, um, I don't know, ribald a name to to use with such a, uh, an important society, uh, but they all liked it. I had this event that I ran for about seven years that had, from I think 2007 uh where we had about 4 to 500 college audio students from all over the u all over the northeast mostly and we would do kind of a miniature AES convention where we'd have workshops tutorials presentations uh exhibitions panels sound trucks all kinds of things were there it was really cool and um you know we would really encourage students to then take the take the leap of faith and go to the AES convention uh, people from AES kind of noticed it. I was invited to join the AES Education Committee, which I thought was kind of cool, uh, to meet other educators and understand what they were doing in their pedagogies and curriculums. Uh, and fascinating, um, uh, I was asked, uh, there was a new AES president coming, and the AES president chooses all the committee heads. And uh, this uh, AES President Jim Anderson from NYU asked me if I would be the co-chair. I'm sorry, the the vice chair of the AES Education Committee, and of course I was honored to do that. And I got involved in things like the recording competition and the uh, student design competition, and recruiting judges, and and doing all kinds of things uh, for the committee to engage students and educators. Uh, and then uh, I ran for vice president of the AES uh, for the East Coast, and I lost to someone from Toronto. I didn't really understand at that time, like who votes and 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 uh, how it worked. And uh, I guess they didn't want to lose my energy, so the new president who's coming in, uh, uh, Jim Kaiser, who's a wonderful professor at Belmont University and a wonderful mastering engineer. Uh, Jim Kaiser, when he became president, asked me if I wanted to be the the chair of the AES Education Committee, which was great, It was awesome. And we built this wonderful community of educators around the world, uh, lots of events to engage students and to advance, uh, you know, the idea of how we teach and what we teach and how we influence workflows and and, uh, how we address the moving target of technology. So I did that for a while. And then I was asked um, if I would run for president of AES. Um, of course, I said, yeah, sure, it's great. Uh, and I uh, won an election and I became the president of AES in 2000. And I served in 2015 and 2016. And uh, I was asked if I would come back and after being the president and being uh, the uh the education chair again uh i i'm doing it uh together now with uh, a really brilliant fellow named Gabe Herman who's a professor at the University of Hartford you you should have on your podcast because he's uh, amazing and has done some really brilliant things um and i am stepping off the leadership at the end of this year but i am i would just tell anybody that the greatest thing for my career has been uh, to be a member of the Audio Engineering Society. Uh, it's, you know, in, in good times, in more uh, lean times, it just is this connection to this wonderful community of people who are doing every facet of audio. And uh, if you really want to demonstrate that you are curious and that you want to up your game and that you are interested in really the highest levels of, of all of what we do, uh, there's no better way of, of doing it than being a member of AES. So I'm also, uh, through all that, I've been teaching. I'm still teaching just at, I've taught at a, a number of different schools, but I'm just teaching at, at Emerson College right now in Boston. And I love my students there. They're uh, mostly geared towards television and uh, film but they are curious and they're smart. And, uh, I've really enjoyed being there about, well, I, I do some consulting for, I'd say uh, right now, nine different companies that, uh, are in the audio, uh, field, uh, doing all kinds of, uh, connecting to educators and making sure that, uh, some of their great technology uh, winds up in classrooms and in pedagogies and in curriculums and on syllabuses. And uh, I guess I think of myself as a bridge builder. One last thing, I have a Facebook group that I started about seven and a half years ago. It's called Hey Audio Student. It's got about 33,000 members, uh, which isn't a huge number for uh, the Internet. But I'm getting a pretty good rate of engagement. So, you know, uh, this summer, I think we were up to like 79% of all the members had been engaged within the last month or the last 28 days.
0: Well, I want to get to that more yeah. in a second, but I saw that you have a number of outstanding teacher awards.
1: Uh, well, you know, anyone can buy those. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm a good communicator. I think the issue is that, um, you know, if things come easily to you, if you understand difficult concepts, uh, pretty clearly, then it might, you might not have the ability to explain them to other people. And I think that the fact that, you know, I guess my role, or I feel like my role, is to take a difficult concept and to try to make it as simple as possible for students. And, um, you know, the other thing is when you think back at your favorite teachers, they were probably the ones that engaged with you p- more personally as opposed to uh, folks who just got up there and taught. So um, I- I'm, you know, I'm honored to be on. Let's
0: talk about hey audio student how did that come about
1: well um i was i've always done a lot of events i did this event at the boston public library it was uh, a wax cylinder recording session that we were doing and uh we had an auditorium that sat 450 people and it was there was a line out the door that people couldn't get in um and i asked people how did you about this you know like I asked the audience and they said uh, Facebook so I figured that you know what I really should up my social media games so about seven and a half years ago I started this group called hey audio student I want to chronicle the events and opportunities that are that are available to students really at all of all ages and levels uh because we're all learning and we're all upping our game and the technology keeps changing. Um, so I will chronicle what people are doing in classrooms. I'll chronicle, uh, different, uh, AES events or other organizations that are, that are ho- hosting, uh, events that I think are a great way to meet people and to understand the, what's going on. I used to play a game called Words with Friends on my phone. Uh, to kind of, I guess, get more dopamine in my brain. And now instead, I repost job leads that I see. So I'm constantly looking for job leads and internship opportunities, and I throw them up on Hey Audio Student just kind of mindlessly. Some days I might have 70 or 80 or 90 job leads up there. Really? Um, wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, also, I think as an educator, I would be a fraud if I was not teaching my students the, the economy of audio. Like, where are the jobs? What are the jobs? What are people doing? People come in, they're 17, 18, 19 years old. You know, they're all thinking, Hey, I want to record my, my punk rock band or I want to make beats. And I think my role and a big part of what I do is to say, you know what? That's not impossible. With an audio degree but 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 here you like sports too maybe you'll hold a parabolic microphone at a at a new england patriots football game and make 500 dollars, or you'll uh be making podcasts or you'll be uh, doing sound design or you know lots of different kinds of things that people are are doing uh, for wonderful sustainable careers and that's kind of what i'm uh trying to educate folks about
0: I think you're right, though. The general perception with most students when they start is, well, there's only one path here. And it depends if you're in film and or television, then that's the path. Uh, and if you're a music music student, then that's the path. But there are so many
1: other jobs available. Oh, of course, of course. I mean, the you know, what I found is that, um, you know, it used to be that, Uh, Someone would go to audio school, or maybe they'd be an intern somewhere, work their way up in a recording studio, Uh, but a lot of those budgets have shrunk and uh, the record companies aren't funding those kinds of things. What you find is people recording with their own phones, their computers, and maybe they're purchasing software at Isotope, or they're purchasing software from Avid or Apple or Eventide. Or Better Maker or Leapwing and those companies are great places to work. And, you know, they're always uh, looking for smart people that understand audio. And I had a student say to me, John, you know, I, I came to school because I wanted to make music, but what I've realized is I'm making the tools now that, you know, other people are using to make their music. And that's actually very satisfying.
0: I think that's a gateway, though, and it's sort of a traditional gateway. I know when I moved to Los Angeles, the first job I got was at an audio distributor, everything audio, and I was there for a couple of years, but it was great. I met so many people, and originally I was a broadcast guy, so I, and I had no idea about broadcast, but after a while, I knew every everybody in film, the television industry out here and whatever, and it was a great way to really break in the business. But a lot of other people that were at similar positions, we all kind of moved on later. And it, again, it was a, a jumping-off point.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think uh what I'd like people to do, what what I encourage my students to do, is find get yourself into a place where you're going to continue to learn. I think a lot of people have this false idea that you're going to go to school for four years to study audio and come out and be exactly the same person, the same expert for the next 40 years until you retire. And that's not really the case. You're going to continue to grow, continue to learn. Uh, there are going to be new technologies. I think you go to school so that you can understand how to uh, interact and how to interface with, with that moving missile of technology that keeps keeps um, happening. And so I th- think if you can find yourself in a place like uh, an ESPN, as opposed to a basement pot, mo- pot smoking recording studio, you're probably more likely to, l- to keep learning and to keep availing yourself to new technologies and understanding broadcast standards, which is important.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I've found is a lot of people will go to school and then they'll go back to where they came from and become a big fish in a small pond. And that's not exactly the best career path because really you'd wanna be a small fish in a big pond working for somebody who's really big and learning from them. And, And that propels you very quickly, but it's hard to get that across sometimes.
1: Well, that's why that's a really excellent point. And that's why a lot of students come out and they feel like, hey, I've got have I've gotta convey that I'm an expert, that I know everything about these kinds of microphones or these kinds of optical compressors. And and the truth of the matter is that, you know, folks a little older are gonna look at someone who claims expertise and think, eh, you can't really be an expert. When you're 22 years old, but I think what's more impressive to folks like us, Bobby, is, is is curiosity. So again, I go back to that. When a kid says, "Hey, you know what? I just, you know, I'm in my junior year of college, and I'm just trying to learn everything I possibly can." You know, kids will ask me, "Hey, well, what happens if someone asks me why I'm why am I at the AES convention?" To say, look, I'm, I'm just in my you know very first audio class, but I'm trying to learn as much as I possibly can. That, to me, is a lot more impressive than I'm here because I'm a young expert.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. What's interesting that I've always found when I was teaching was that there's always two or three that really get it, that are way out in front of everybody else. And when I first started to teach, I began to concentrate on them, and then I realized, oh, wait, that's not the best way to do it, because many times you go to school to figure out what you don't want to do. Yeah. And the more you're immersed in it, the more you figure that out. Yeah. That's an important part, and it took me a while to kind of figure that out as a teacher.
1: Well, I I think also something that motivated me, if I've got 12 people in a studio class and 12 students and you know one of them is like you said fabulous and you know i'm thinking about the kid who's like number 11 and he's thinking boy why did i even think that this was a good idea to spend all this money to go to school uh there are 10 you know there are 12 kids in this class i'm close to the bottom if not the bottom what makes me think that i'm going to get a job here and do something and what I would say is, you know, I mean, it took me years to figure out that there are much better audio engineers than myself, and there are a lot of people who know a lot more and great researchers and great writers and, and scholars about audio, but I think that there are some other talents that I might have that I've come to appreciate. The ability to connect people, the ability to pr- build bridges the ability to maybe make a, a student feel some confidence in sort of getting out in the world and and so I don't know I think that there's there's a, a place for for the folks who maybe aren't number one in their in their audience
0: yes yeah, yeah it's funny yesterday I had a talk with an old friend and he was referring to my online courses. He's an engineer. He's a very good engineer. And he says, I know exactly what you're doing there. I said, yes, but this isn't for you. It's for the people that don't know any of this stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, I always, um, I feel like we need to be respectful of the people who are the great experts. That's something I really like about, hey, audio student, I've got the, the high school kid who asks, why do I need an interface? What is that all about? And what kind of microphone can I buy for $65? And they also I also have the men and women who are, who are writing the peer-reviewed articles for the Journal of the Audio Engineering Society. And the one thing, you know it's it's not always easy, but I try to keep everybody respecting everybody else and and not looking, you know, the elite folks not looking down on the new people. Uh, we all started someplace. And um, that to me is, is is important.
0: You control it very well. As you know, social media can get out of hand very quickly. And I haven't seen that at all on Hey Audio Student. And it's especially with younger people that tend to think they know more than they know. I see this on my Facebook ads all the time. I stop reading comments because it's like, boy, there, there are some people that are brutal. And it's like, well,
1: yeah, but you don't quite get it. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm the first person to admit uh, there are many ways of looking at things, and mine might not be perfect. So a lot of times people will ask me my expert opinion about something. And what I'll do is I'll say, hey, throw that up on Hey Audio Student. Let's crowdsource that answer and get 125 people telling you you know, what to look at or what to consider. And I think that that's, that's actually pretty good. And hopefully people don't kill each other in the process.
0: Yeah, 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 right. Uh, Tell me about the factory tours that you do.
1: So um, I used to bring students 100 miles southwest of my students from Boston, 100 miles southwest uh, to the Telefunken Microphone Factory in South Windsor, Connecticut. And man, it's like a Willy Wonka tour for anybody who loves audio. Really phenomenal! So much history in that place, so much uh, amazing technology. And uh, when the pandemic happened, we talked about doing these things online and doing them via Zoom. So we've done for about the a year and a half now virtual factory tours of the Telefunken microphone factory in South Windsor, Connecticut. Uh, we've done them for groups in Myanmar and India and the Philippines and, uh, Poland and Germany and Belgium and all over Latin America and Mexico and all over the United States for AES groups, for schools, for colleges, for high schools. And it's been, it's, it's really interesting. If you're teaching audio, uh, it's a great, it just fills in. It dovetails really nicely with, you know, if you're teaching about frequency response graphs, you'll see the technician actually creating the frequency response graph, doing the measurements. You'll see what kind of software he's or she is doing. You'll, um, you will you know, witness the devices that they use. You'll see uh, new old stock tubes and how they're burned in. You'll see the difference between you know, what happens in a seven pin connector versus a three pin connector? You'll see uh, the difference between an edge terminated capsule and a center terminated capsule and how that affects things like proximity effect. And it's just wonderful. They last about 60 or 70 minutes, depending upon questions. And we offer them for free. We just ask that there be a group of at least about 25 uh, people. And so it, it's, it's, it's great for education and also students get to see what someone does in a microphone factory, you know, what the different roles are. And so uh, that's been wonderful for Telefunken to sort of offer that kind of education. That, that, and it's been great for them in a situation where the NAM show and the show and all kinds of other trade shows. Are slowed down, or we don't really know where they're at. It's a great way for them to get out there and talk to students. It's not a sales thing at all. Uh, it's really about it's really about just kind of making a connection and offering some educational value to students who don't always get the opportunity to see what goes on in the inside of a microphone.
0: Well, I have to admit, I really enjoyed it. I didn't see the tour per se, but I was there when. We did the um, educators conference a couple of years ago, and there was the party afterwards there at the Telefunking factory. It was great. I loved it, even though I didn't see people working or doing any yeah. any of the things that you talked about. But nonetheless, it gives you a different perspective on exactly what the company's doing. You look at microphones a different way when you see them in pieces like that.
1: Absolutely, and you know to see. Microphones that are close to hundred years old, and uh, understand how the technology has changed. Um, you know wh- what you have there. at Telefunken is a is a company built out of passion. These guys are making microphones not because some corporation thinks it's a biz. You know it's a business, and they have to make money for stockholders. It's about a love of microphones and always upping the game and always doing something great. And paying a lot of attention to history, and uh, that's a really cool place. I think that they're doing an amazing job there, and it's wonderful to be able to build a bridge between Telefunken and and uh, the academic world.
0: Yeah, definitely. Last question, John. Thanks so much for doing this. this. This is fun.
1: You know what? I really appreciate it. I'm a I've been a huge fan of yours for many years, I really admire your expertise and, uh, your great, uh, ability to communicate with people. And, uh, I'm a big fan and I'm honored that you asked me to, to be on your podcast.
0: Well, thank you. Likewise. What's the best piece of advice that either you learned along the way, or maybe somebody imparted to you?
1: Well, I'm going to give you two things really quickly. Uh, one is stay curious. That's really important. And the other is uh, there's a great quote by Maya Angelou, the late Maya Angelou, who said, people won't remember what we did and they won't remember what we said, but they'll always remember how we made them feel. And, you know, Bobby, you asked me to be on your podcast, this great podcast that I listen to all the time. And that makes me feel good. So I will forever think of you, you know, when when I see that you call, I'm always going to think, hey, there's my friend Bobby Ozinski. Pretty cool. Uh, It starts when you're a student. If you are sitting in the front row asking lots of questions, that is, you know, that's making your professor feel good. When you're Walking up to someone at an AES convention and introducing yourself and asking them questions about them, not just necessarily talking about yourself. You're making them feel good. They'll always associate you with feeling good. Um, so I think that's, that's it. It's, it's think about how you're making people feel. Be curious about them. Don't just assume that they want to hear everything about you. Eventually. If you really want to tell them something about you, it's the best thing you can tell them is that you're curious about them. So I'd say stay curious and make people feel good and keep learning. Don't assume that you know everything. And I'm just thrilled to be here. Thank you so much.
0: You can find out more about John and Hey Audio Student at johncrivitt.com. That's John, J-O-H-N, crivitt, K-R-I-V-I-T dot com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com, where you can find an Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean.